4: Hey, this is Annie. Hey, this is Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing something that I think, um, with all of the news that's coming out, might be on some people's minds or is important to discuss. And to discuss it, and it being Crisis Pregnancy Centers, we are joined by Maya. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself?
5: Hi, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Um, my name is Maya Craft. Uh I've been a journalist for about 15 years, but I'm sort of new to Atlanta. I'm from California originally, and I landed in Atlanta about a year and a half ago, with ki- which I think was kind of an interesting moment in um this the south and you know changing demographics of the south and and it's an especially interesting place to be at this moment so um when my editor approached me to write this story about crisis pregnancy centers with everything that was going on with the changing reproductive rights landscape i jumped on the opportunity
4: yes and we are so glad to have you here because um your piece in medium was excellently done Thank you. Um, And it's called Inside the Shadow Clinics, for listeners who want to look it up. Um, And as as you were writing it, it was around the time that Brett Kavanaugh was being confirmed for the Supreme Court. And as we record this now, several states are passing very restrictive abortion laws, ultimately with the goal of overturning Roe v. Wade. So we thought it would be a good time to talk about it. But uh, let's start with the basics. What are crisis pregnancy centers?
5: Yeah, crisis pregnancy centers, they're also sometimes called pregnancy resource centers. These are centers that are run by faith-based groups um, that basically exist to talk women out of having an abortion. Um, From the outside, they might look like a traditional women's health clinic. Some of them even have innocuous names like the women's clinic. Um, But when you get in there, you see a lot of Christian literature in the lobby. so. These centers often masquerade as traditional women's health care clinics, but when you dig a little deeper, you realize that's not what they are. Uh, A lot of times they open up right across the street from a Planned Parenthood, although in states like Georgia, where there are so few abortion clinics, uh, they'll just open up anywhere that you might find women who might be considering an abortion, college campuses, that kind of thing.
4: Mm -hmm. And I know that um, a while back, John Oliver did a piece on them, and they— he kind of focused a little bit on the vans. Like, they, they'll move around in vans and park outside. Oh, yeah, there's one that clinics. I think
5: parks out front of a church in Hapeville. Oh, really? Yeah, I tried wow. to go and catch it, but uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't keeping regular hours. I, yeah, I would say they're yeah. really
3: regularly available in, like, a lot of suburban areas, I found. Because I as I worked in DFACS and as I worked with uh, state government stuff and in the state of Georgia, they kind of leaned towards faith based, uh, faith-based, evidence-based type of um, resources, and there are a lot, almost per county, I think, and it's readily available as an access resource for most teenage girls.
5: Yeah, they're definitely much more prevalent in Georgia than Planned Parenthood, for example, or any other kind of traditional women's health clinic that provides abortion services.
4: Yeah, and that's a good segue into my next question, which is, do you have any numbers
5: around this? Yeah, there's actually one of the researchers I interviewed for my piece is this woman named Andrea Sh- and druber from the University of Georgia. She's put together a map of crisis pregnancy centers across the United States in an effort to sort of help women identify is this a crisis pregnancy center or is this a traditional medical clinic where I'm going to find sort of more unbiased medical information? Um, And the numbers that she came up with were somewhere around 2,500 crisis pregnancy centers in the United States. And just for some perspective, that's about three times the number of abortion clinics in the country. So they're outnumbering abortion clinics three to one. In places like Georgia, it's more like 10 to one.
3: Right. Wow. 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 Um, I'm wondering, compared to the states that we talked about earlier when we had our episode about abortion, there are several states that only have one abortion clinic. And then you compare to, I wonder how many they have of those types of crisis centers.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, And one thing, like you said, they do typically look like, in in a lot of cases, like an abortion clinic. And you might go in and they might be the staff there might be wearing, like, scrubs or some kind of medical attire. Um, But it is typically run by volunteers,
5: correct? It depends. Some of these places are quite well-funded. They have budgets over a million dollars a year. Others are shoestring operations that are basically the extension of the local church. And you might have a couple young people, you know, who are basically youth pastor, you know, kind mm-hmm. of like that sort of level, um, you know, earning a part-time salary to staff these centers. So it it really runs the gamut. Mm-hmm. And you, you spoke to
4: someone who worked at one in Georgia, correct?
5: I did, yeah. It was hard to get access to these crisis pregnancy centers. They're not very media-friendly. <laughs> um, wonder why. But there was one in Jonesboro, Georgia, where I was able to spend some time with the two women who staff it. And learn a little bit about what goes on there, uh, what kind of services they offer, what their facilities look like, and um, what their point of view is on on what they're doing. Um, it was really it was really illuminating. But I think the one thing that struck me most was how young <laughs> how young these people were, and how far removed they were from any kind of medical training. You know, they were very passionate about their faith, mm-hmm. and that's definitely the place where they were coming from.
4: Right. I remember in your piece you wrote about how, didn't you show one of them like a website and you said this is a crisis pregnancy center website and it said like abortion on there several times. Yeah. She was like, are you
5: sure? Yeah. I thought it was a great sort of snapshot of how this industry is changing, right? Because Mm -hmm. crisis pregnancy centers have been around a long time. I'm sure everybody has driven down the freeway past one of these billboards that's like pregnant, scared, call this 800 number. That's been around forever. And it's kind of an an older model of crisis pregnancy centers. The new thing is obscuring the link between the religious organization that usually backs these centers and making them look more like medical clinics. So the center that I visited was much more this old model. Um, It had one of those billboards out over the boulevard in Jonesboro, and that's how they got, I think, most people through the door. So we, I had her pull up the website for one of these kind of more 21st century, more savvy crisis pregnancy centers where you could not tell. Like mm-hmm. even if you were an, like a media scholar looking at this website, you couldn't tell that it's not an abortion clinic. You know, it says... Want an abortion? Schedule an appointment today and click here. Yeah. Um, and you know, she and I spent some time looking at this website, and she didn't believe me that it, it was a crisis pregnancy center. So it's really, you know, even people within the industry don't entirely know the true motivations of these things.
3: So what was her response? It was just like, "No, that's not right." Like that was just yeah. her whole.
5: She she personally was um, not cool with being that misleading. Mm-hmm, right. uh, but then I asked her. I said, "You know, if you're so upfront about you know, the fact that you're a Christian ministry that's just providing alternative information, Uh, why don't you say Christian pregnancy counseling on your sign? Why do you just say pregnancy center? She didn't have a great answer for that. Um, But this isn't about an individual. This is a big, well-funded network of centers all across the country that are, you know, conducting this coordinated campaign to change the conversation around abortion.
4: Right, and um, there are three nationwide networks, correct?
5: Yeah, there are three. Um, CareNet is the main one. Uh, NIFLA is another. And Heartbeat International.
4: Um, Yeah, so they, they run a majority of these centers.
5: Or um, The centers are affiliated with those Ah, networks. And um, there's also a company called Heritage House that provides a lot of the pamphlets and materials that you'll find in these centers. Um, Plastic models of a uterus with showing different stages of fetal development. Um, All these pamphlets, purportedly physician-approved information uh, about abortion that turns out to be quite misleading, if not outright false.
4: Yeah, and um, that's something that we should say if we haven't already, but they're largely unregulated um, facilities and they promise all sorts of things. Some of them do. Could you go into that for a little bit?
5: Yeah, usually what gets people in the door is the free pregnancy test and um, free ultrasound. A lot of times I think women need proof of uh, pregnancy in order to get certain benefits from the state. Um, So that's what gets people in the door. But a lot of times the pregnancy tests that they're offering are are not any more sophisticated than what you'd buy at the drugstore for a couple bucks. Mm -hmm. Um, And the ultrasounds are most of the time these are not licensed sonographers that can diagnose anything. If you have an abnormality in your pregnancy or even tell how far along you are, Um, it's just sort of to get you to see this image and have that emotional moment of potentially hearing a heartbeat. Um, There's really not a lot of medical merit to the ultrasounds that that, that some of these centers might be doing, but that doesn't stop them from, I think there's 70% of crisis pregnancy centers own an ultrasound machine. Yeah.
4: Wow. And I was reading accounts from women who have been and said that um, there's a lot of stress of like, oh, mommy, you know, like already trying to make that, make you feel that emotional connection.
5: Definitely. One of the first things that happens if you walk into the crisis pregnancy center that I was spending time with in Jonesboro is you get ushered into a counseling room where you sit with one of the counselors and talk about your concerns about your pregnancy and they will hand you a little baby hat that has been hand-knit by one of the church volunteers and have you hold it and touch it and sort of get a sense for the warm, fuzzy relationship that you might be able to have with your baby, you know? It's, wow. it's definitely an emotional appeal.
4: Wow. So let's go further along with that for a second. Um, say I'm a woman and I walk into one of these CPCs, Crisis Pregnancy Center, what can I expect? What will happen?
5: Um, Well, it depends. If you're going to one of these older school places, you might see overt religious symbols. You might see crosses on the wall and biblical music playing in the lobby. You'll definitely see a lot of pamphlets in the waiting room uh, telling you about questionable things like post-abortion trauma syndrome or the link between breast cancer and abortion, um, these very misleading literature. If you're in one of these more medicalized places, it might be indistinguishable from a med- medical clinic. You might see a sonographer wandering around in scrubs. You, know, you might not see any religious symbolism at all. Um, so it really depends. It's, it's not always clear.
4: Yeah, and that is probably the biggest criticism of these facilities is that they they do mislead and they provide false information and then try to pass themselves off as a legitimate medical facility or a clinic. Um, do you have any specific examples around that? I know you mentioned like kind of not well-supported medical claims, shall we say, but any other examples like that?
5: Um, yeah, well, it was interesting. A lot of the people I tried to interview for this piece conducted themselves as though they were medical professionals, and some of them actually were. And they said they couldn't talk to me because of HIPAA privacy regulations. Oh, interesting. Yeah, (laughs) so they're kind of entering this really interesting gray area between are you a medical Mm -hmm. clinic subject to those kind of regulations or not. Um, Misleading medical claims, yeah. I mean, the literature was full of um, things that, that... have just been proven to be false. There was pamphlets in the lobby that imply that a fetus can feel pain as early as six weeks. There's there's no medical evidence to support that. Um, there are pamphlets around the link between abortion and breast cancer. That's kind of harped on a lot in the anti-abortion community. There is no evidence for that. I mentioned before post-abortion trauma syndrome, no evidence for that either. Does that answer your question or are we going yeah?
4: Um, I, I also found examples of um, depression, uh, mm-hmm. drug abuse, increased chance of future miscarriage and or infertility. And yeah, none of that is supported by research. Um, Heartbeat International has these su- suggested scripts that says one of the things that from there is um, 35% of suicidal behaviors may be attributed to abortion. So things like that.
5: Yeah, definitely. And And what's interesting is there's some um you know, within these circles, there are some people who tour uh, the church circuit and kind of giving talks about the abortion they almost had or the abortion they did have and how guilty they felt about it so um there's there's definitely conversation around it within the CPC community that uh, it's not just if you've had an abortion, you're a sinner. you know, a lot of times it's embracing people who have had previous abortions and trying to get them. Um, to to make a different decision by telling these stories of how rough it's been for these other women,
4: mm-hmm. and um, I I also read just to go back to this sort of misleading aspect of it is that they might make you wait hours for a pregnancy test, which takes minutes, um, so that they can they have more time to give you this information, and they they might ask questions like, "Was there a loving Christian boyfriend who would make a great dad? Um, did I have a kind?" Do I have kind, supportive parents who would be excited by the idea of a grandchild? Yeah.
5: Yeah, I noticed there definitely seemed to be a lot of effort to get the men involved in these decisions, to get these fathers to come in mm-hmm. um, and have counseling themselves. There's a big program that a lot of these pregnancy centers offer, which is called Earn While You Learn, where basically if they've talked to you out of having an abortion, you have a baby, you can come in. Um, for an hour on a Tuesday night, watch these DVDs about parenting. And some of them have sort of decent information, and some of them are really out there. Um, and you watch these DVDs, you do these little homework worksheets, and you earn baby bucks. And you can earn mommy bucks and daddy bucks. And you redeem these for onesies and car seats and baby wipes and things that you need if you're a new mom. Um, so there's definitely an attempt to, to rope in the... Uh, the whole community.
4: Right. And like you were saying earlier, um, from the outside, they do appear frequently um, like they're just a medical clinic and a lot of them will purposefully use like the same font or, <laughs> as Planned Parenthood or something, uh, which is, I mean, it's hard not to see that as mis- misleading. And they frequently also use choice or choose in their name. Um So it's easy to see how you might be, especially if they're next to each other, you might just go into the wrong one or not the one that you intended to go to.
5: Yeah. And I think something that probably happens more frequently is not the textbook scenario that you're thinking of where a woman just knows she wants an abortion and wanders into this place. It's people who are a lot more conflicted, people who don't have a lot of information. um, And... You know people who need baby wipes and so you know it's they come to this pregnancy center and and do these courses and that's just what they're doing um yeah it's the the choice language was used a lot we're trying mm-hmm. to get women to make a better choice
4: right we have a little bit more for you listeners but first we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsors
0: Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today.
5: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day.
4: Um, I found a quote from Abby Johnson, who is an anti-abortion activist. We want to appear neutral on the outside. The best call, the best client you ever get is one that thinks they're walking into an abortion clinic. Yep. Yeah. And also, a lot of them have been accused of doing delaying tactics um, so that you miss the legal window for an abortion or that maybe by the time you arrive at the decision, no, I do want an abortion. It's more complicated, more expensive. Maybe you can't afford it anymore. Um, some of them might say that you can wait and see if you miscarry.
5: There's definitely a lot of emphasis placed on on miscarriage, how how common it is, and you know you read some of these pamphlets and you go, it's almost like just pray it away kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like there's, um, yeah, I found I, I was surprised by that the the prevalence of the the information on miscarriage, almost like if if God wants this uh, pregnancy to go away you know there's this avenue
3: were you able to ask the individual staff about those types of literatures why miscarriage is so emphasized
5: they you know they're young women mm-hmm. and they're getting these pamphlets from this centralized organization um, that's coordinating all this several levels above their head so when we talked about medical information you know I would say do you talk to these women about miscarriage do you talk to them about maternal mortality you know Black women, right. the maternal mortality rates are crazy in this right. country and in the South especially. Um, and you know, they said, We're we're not doctors. We don't that's not we, that's not what we do. Mm.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: And that's kind of the rub, right? That's, that's Kinda, the crux of the situation. The
3: manipulative tactic is like, Well, we can't tell you medical stuff, but we can tell you morality stuff. This yeah. is really easy. This part is easy.
4: Right. Right. Exactly.
3: Um, Another thing that I imagine a lot of
4: people listening won't find surprising, but let's talk about um, contraception for a minute. (laughs) Um, Did you find that there was any kind of literature or something about contraception?
5: Not in the center that I spent time in. Um, And when I asked about that, you know, it's commonly said if you really want to reduce abortion, give everybody condoms. You know, Mm -hmm. when the more contraception there is, the more widely available abortions go down, Right. And um, their view was, aren't condoms plentiful everywhere else? Like, it's like you could go outside and it's raining condoms or something. Mm-hmm. It wasn't their job. That's not what they're doing. Um, and they can, you know, people who want contraception can find it everywhere, but not here.
4: Okay. I remember, I can't remember, I think her name was Betty, but she she's involved in this a lot. And she said that she thought condoms don't work like 50% of the time. or It was some number that was very, <laughs> very large. And the person said, I'm pretty sure they're 98% effective. And she was like, no, I don't think so. (laughs) Um, There was an undercover investigation into 55 of Ohio's CPCs, and it found that none offered birth control, and they overwhelmingly pushed abstinence. Um, In fact, a popular used CPC manual says, never counsel for contraception. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I guess that does make sense in a weird way that they wouldn't, if it's not their thing. Uh, but it also, at the same time, it seems that maybe it
5: should be part of
3: their thing. I don't know.
5: There's a lot about the reproductive rights conversation that doesn't make a lot yeah, of sense right, right?
3: now. I mean, it's kind of like everything else. It's not about preventative. That is, <laughs> it's yeah. Never, yeah. never about preventative. Yes. Take away from the episode.
4: Right. Um, but also, I found that um, a lot of CPCs are encouraged to tell women that birth control causes hair loss, breast cancer, weight gain, headaches, and memory loss, and that condoms are, quote, ineffective at preventing
3: pregnancy. It's almost like they're encouraging people to get pregnant. And have the baby. And have the baby, but not help them after that baby is one or two. Maybe right. even then, not even before then.
5: The centers I spoke with took a lot of pride in in the Baby closets, you know, and all the things that they give to new mothers, and that was evidence that you know they do care about these fetuses outside of you know or these babies once mm-hmm. they're out in the world. Um, but you're right; it doesn't it doesn't extend past a couple of years, and it's questionable whether that method is is actually helping women or if it's you know Andrea Schwartzendruber, who I spoke with for my piece, says you know you might. Some people might call that coercive if you're making people come in and watch biblical DVDs before right. giving them baby wipes, which costs two dollars, you know. It
3: sounds like it has to they have to earn their way through something that they're being encouraged and or almost forcefully <laughs> made to do. Yeah. You have to earn to actually provide after the fact.
4: Right. And I think this brings us to your big question is, are they illegal?
5: They certainly seem to be legal <laughs> They're proliferating exist. at a great pace. But yeah, it's, it's a very interesting time to be watching what's going on in the courts. A couple of years ago, California issued a ruling that crisis pregnancy centers were required to post information in the lobby saying that they don't provide abortion services and, and listing the location of a nearby um, center where, where women could find those kinds of services. And um, that was struck down by the Supreme Court. Um, Clarence Thomas, I think, wrote the opinion, and they said no, it's an infringement on freedom of speech mm-hmm. to to make someone do that so um, but it'll be interesting to watch as they as these centers become more and more medicalized if they're going to be subject to the kind of regulation that medical clinics are are subject to
4: absolutely and and that decision that you just mentioned that was twenty eighteen like this is happening
5: oh it was last summer yeah, yeah.
4: it's happening now um and so far, like up until now, they stop just short of being a medical provider on purpose, so they aren't subject to regulations. They aren't subject to HIPAA, which is why I found so interesting <laughs> that you said you mentioned that earlier, um, which means that the info being gathered is not confidential. Um, one South Dakota law requires that women go to a CPC before getting an abortion,
5: mm-hmm. and
4: I believe it's being challenged right now.
5: And that's definitely the the direction that it's moving in Georgia too. There's there's state money in Georgia that goes toward trying to steer women into one of these pregnancy alternative centers mm-hmm. um, as they're trying to make decisions about what to do with their pregnancy. Um, there was, I was reading the like privacy statement of one of these more misleading medical centers, and it was very concerning what they do with the information that they gather, you know, in these very vulnerable counseling sessions. I'll have to look it up and I can send it to you, but there was language like staff can use the information that you tell us privately and share it with your family, your pastor, whoever we deem, you know, important to know this information. That's frightening.
3: Yeah. And that's already the back and forth with the fact that with young girls who are pregnant and allow, like, telling and reporting to the parents, which could be another problematic issue about, well, how far does HIPAA cover a, a minor? And right. why Why? Why are we not talking about that as more of a, this is an issue. If you really tr- truly believe in HIPAA and privacy, this should cover all, but at the same time, it's not. It's kind of a pick and choose once again.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, and going
4: back to the funding... Do you know, like, where is the funding coming from? How much funding are we talking about?
5: This was the most fascinating part of my research. Um, I was expecting a lot of funding would be private through churches and, you know, individuals who really feel passionately about this issue. I was surprised to find out how much funding is coming from your paycheck and my paycheck. Um, A lot of these crisis pregnancy centers get federal funding for teaching abstinence-only sex education, and we talked a little bit about the state funding in Georgia. A new bill was recently passed. I think it was $2 million is going to crisis pregnancy centers, including some of these worst offenders that are most misleading on their website Um, Texas, I think, a few years ago committed $5 million to crisis pregnancy centers. It's since upped that investment to $40 million over five years. And uh, my favorite, uh, at your local DMV, you can go in and buy a Choose Life license plate, and a portion of those proceeds benefit crisis pregnancy centers. Wow. Yeah, and
4: I I believe it's it's 32 states in Washington, D.C. have those Choose Life.
5: Last I checked,
4: yep. Wow. OK. well, <laughs> that's not infuriating at all. Um, something else that I'm sure won't be infuriating at all. Uh, who do you think this impacts the most?
5: So the center I visited was in Jonesboro, mm-hmm. um, which is half an hour outside of Atlanta. It's a very it's a pretty low-income community. I think a third of the households are on food stamps. Um, so this is impacting people who don't have other options available in their area. Um, low-income women, black women who, as we mentioned, are suffering from well, already insanely high maternal mortality rates. So it's, it's, it's impacting the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to the history of these at all? Yeah, I was surprised to learn that crisis pregnancy centers are even older than Roe versus Wade. Oh, Um, but they've been around for a long time. So Robert Pearson's considered the founding father of crisis pregnancy centers. The first one was opened in 1967 in Hawaii.
4: Yeah, and um, after that, two years later, he founded the Pearson Foundation, which was based in St. Louis, and the goal was to assist local groups with setting up CBCs, and they provide things like pamphlets, discounted video equipment, and slideshows like the 27-minute-long Caring, quote, includes many pictures of bloody fetuses in waste cans and one of a gurney carrying a woman who is apparently dead and is covered by a sheet. It ends by comparing abortion to the final solution, and that's from Crisis Pregnancy Center Watch.
5: There's a lot of that kind of language, um and a lot of a lot of people talking about even framing it as sort of a racial justice issue what they're doing because if they're trying to lower rates of abortion among black women it's as if you know because they're they're trying to fight this this genocide of i don't know exactly what the the reasoning is but it's definitely framed as almost like a human rights issue what they're doing
2: right
5: yeah
3: I mean, they already, we were talking about this during the abortion. I don't know if we actually said it, but it, they're calling it infanticide Yeah, abortion. It's kind of like that's completely misleading in every way. Yeah. Um. In what we're talking about and what we're talking about with rights in general.
4: Yeah. And as I've mentioned many, many times on this show, I, I come from a really small town in Georgia. Um, and I, in eighth grade, I was on the debate team. And I was like, me and one other kid were liberal and everyone else was conservative. So it was always us. On the other side, and uh, when abortion, that was the debate, the issue. I just remember on the other side, they showed slideshows of all these babies in, like, dumpsters and trash cans, and then me and my partner had to go up, and we were like, well, that's terrible. (laughs) Like, nobody's saying this is good, but also this is really what's happening. Right,
3: and again, like, it's all about the misleading, like, Uh, fear-mongering that continues to happen every day in any type of political agenda. Like, the best way to get to people who don't truly know is to cause fear. (laughs) Well,
4: yeah, and like you said, that a lot of times it is someone who's wavering and isn't sure, and if you come in and watch a video like that, I'm sure it's very effective. And even if, just to have to say after, like, me in eighth grade— It didn't change how it felt, but I certainly
3: felt worse having to (laughs) voice what I thought after it. Exactly. Again, when people make the term murdering babies, you're a murderer. How do you argue with that? I mean, we you, you really can't. Yeah, I love, I love killing babies. Let's do this. That's going to be somebody's going to pull that, Samantha. <laughs> I know. I know that's your so let's we'll go ahead and edit that. <laughs> the trailer. Um, but, you know, that's, that's that whole mentality. And I know with a lot of the pregnancy resource centers, actually the ones that I've seen, because uh, with me working in the state level, um, they do wear scrubs. And I think one or two of them are not necessarily nur- nurses, but they're assistants. Mm-hmm. So they're in the field, but not quite the same guidelines of education wise.
5: I saw a lot of um, nursing students and, yes. and sonographers who were getting their practical experience, doing an internship at a crisis pregnancy right. center. It's recognized. Oh, wow! Right. Yeah.
3: Oh, and that's kind of how they get away with being medical, mm-hmm. I guess, um, in their conversations. And again, this is a, one of those things that causes a lot of guilt and young, frightened. People who are pregnant, who are in a place where they're not sure what to do. So they use tactics such as guilt and fear and um, empathy
5: mm-hmm. in every
3: way to try to persuade someone.
5: One thing that's, that struck me about some of the folks I met who staff these centers is they really are warm, open, right. genuine people who seem to care these yeah. are
3: really like motherly figures that yep. you see that people are reaching out for because I've seen that as well. They they come and touch you and hug on you a little bit and tell you everything's going to be okay. And they oftentimes we'll be like, "Let me pray with you," even though that might not be a thing at the center, but they want to make it so personal for you as if they understand you and your well being. And to be fair, maybe they do because they're that passionate. Yeah, but of course it comes very one sided mm-hmm. um, without an understanding of what this could be the fallout in the future.
4: Yeah, I I think I read another account from someone who went to a Crisis Pregnancy Center. I think she might have been an undercover person, but in either case, the person she the nurse if it was a nurse, but you know whoever she met at the Crisis Pregnancy Center followed up with her for 2 months, like called her on the phone, was, you know, just checking in, how are you? How are things? Like got to know her. So yeah, they're they're very personable it seems generally. Um but to go back to the history for a second, um and pearson in 1984 he wrote a widely accepted and used pamphlet outlining tactics to use to deceive women like he was pretty open about it <laughs> and then in 1994 he said obviously we're fighting satan a killer who in this case is the girl who wants to kill her baby has no right to information that will help her kill her baby therefore when she calls and says do you do abortions we do not tell her no we don't do abortions so i can imagine if you truly believe that and it it feels like you are fighting Satan. Oh, that's yeah. pretty
3: powerful messaging.
5: I think these people are definitely convinced that they're doing the right thing.
3: Oh, absolutely. Again, when we were talking about uh, feminism in itself, one of the big reasons people hate that word, again, one of the big reasons that I had fights with my family is because feminism equals abortion. End yeah. of story. And abortion means murder, and you care nothing about the baby. And that's, that's the whole picture for them. There's nothing else to that, even though obviously it's a very broad subject. And that's exactly what this fear-mongering has become is they're trying to take away life. Yeah. And they've been very effective at it. Um, We
4: have a little bit more to discuss. But first, we're going to pause for one more quick break for word from our sponsors.
0: Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy, and anytime is right to listen to iHeart Radio's iHeart Country Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free.
4: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And one of the ways that they've gotten more effective, and you kind of touch on this, is that there's this old school and new school. Um, They've modernized. They've come into the 20th century. Uh, You wrote about a conference that was kind of recently held in Atlanta that was to make sure that CPCs are operating the most effectively in these are modern times. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about that?
5: Yeah, there were so many interesting workshops. that so There were about 1,300 people who came together, staffers from crisis pregnancy centers around the country, um, to sort of learn new best practices for their industry and how to stay competitive in this shifting landscape where, you know, those billboards, that's another era. Now, people who are what they call abortion-minded are often, what's the first thing you do? You Google, you know, abortion clinic, In my area. Mm, So how do you reach those people? Let's, you know, there was a a workshop on Google AdWords and how to utilize that to get people to your website, how to write a compelling landing page for your website, how to use Facebook. Um, You know, they're definitely trying to stay on the cutting edge of how people are searching for information around abortion and make sure they're meeting their target person there.
4: Right. Yeah. I remember that um, when that came out that if you type in abortion, probably one of the top three results is going to be at crisis pregnancy center because they did buy those like keywords, um, so they're they've gotten pretty good at that as well. Um, as we as we <laughs> wrap up here, what do you think? Why is this worth talking about, and what can and should be done if anything?
5: You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm from California, and so I think my understanding of the world and how things should be is is very colored by the, you know, being from the coast and, you know, relatively affluent state where, you know, you can, well, if you need an abortion, you just go get one or, you know, and it wasn't until I moved to the South that I realized how different things look in different parts of the country. Um, you know, the fact that there are only nine abortion providers in Georgia and 90 crisis pregnancy centers, that's not choice. That's not options. Um, and so, I don't know, the curtailing of access to fair, unbiased, truthful information about what options are available to you if you find yourself pregnant and you're not sure that that's the, that's the direction you want to go, uh, that's paramount. And those rights, especially in places like Georgia, are are being eroded. It's It's less and less easy to find information that women need, truly need. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think with this coordinated effort that we're seeing in states across the South and the Midwest, passing near total abortion bans, it might go up to the Supreme Court, who, you know, Roe versus Wade is legitimately in danger. Um, You know, this is a very real issue that's going to impact millions of women.
4: Yeah, and um, like we said in our episode on, our recent episode on abortion, it's, Dangerous. Um, there, there have been many cases of women's lives being endangered, or and or um, the fetus or child because they didn't get accurate information, or they thought they were going to a hospital hospital, but they were going to a Catholic hospital. Um, so it just seems transparent transparency and knowing the facts when it comes to this, like you have said, very dangerous thing in our country that is
3: having a baby. Right. What would you say to look for those who are actually Googling, and and we know there's these tricks, and I know we kind of already touched on a little bit of the things that might be missing. What would you say for those who are researching now um, and looking things up while they do have access, some of the key things that they should look out for to show what is legitimately a choice site or choice uh, center as opposed to one of these um, Christian based centers that's not outright Christian. What would you say?
5: There look are two for? links that maybe we could put in the show notes or something um, that are super helpful. One of them is that map that Andrea Schwartz and Druber put together of all the crisis pregnancy centers across the United States. If there's if you've identified a clinic and you're not sure. Cross-reference it with that map, and you'll be able to at least see what you might be able to expect when you go to one of these places. Um, There's also, there's a National Abortion (laughs) Providers Center that lists um, affiliated abortion providers in each state, and so if you want to make sure that you're going to a place that is not, um, you know, opposed to providing information and services around abortion, you can um, look it up there. Awesome.
4: Thank you so much for joining us. Are there any projects that you're working on that you want to shout out while you're here, or things that you have done where people can find you, anything like
5: that? Um, people can find me on my website, mayakroth.com, if they want to. I don't know. I, I write on a, a wide range of subjects, so it's not all it's not all reproductive health. But yeah, maybe <laughs> not shout out anything. <laughs> but awesome stuff
4: nonetheless. Right. We talk about all kinds of things on this show, so. Go check that out if you would like, listeners. Um, thanks again. And if you would like to email us, you can. Our email is momstuff at iHeartMedia.com. It's a new email, but all new emails sent to the old email, email will <laughs> arrive to the new current we got email. This. We got this. We are professionals. Um, you can also find us on Instagram at Stuff I Never Told You and on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Way to be. Thanks again to Maya Frost. You're Thank amazing. You. And thanks to you for listening. Thank you. Stuff Mom Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.